I felt God gave me a word last night for you, and I thought, do you know what? I'm going to bring it this morning in a slightly less heightened moment. And um, I shared it with Dan, and I know it kind of came out in the worship, but I just felt like I wanted to say something that might seem very obvious to you, but I felt like God said to me that what God is doing in the room over the weekend obviously is for us individually, God's speaking to us, but I feel like there's something in this room for Scotland I know obviously you're, you're in Scotland, but it is the nations. But I also think it's the nation that you're in and that God's giving you stuff and has given things to you individually but collectively as well, which is not just for your city. It is for your city, but it's to influence the whole nation, right? And, and I know church leaders will suddenly go, that means you're all going to go church planting, and I'm not saying that. I mean, for some of you, it will be that you're going to work in politics, or for some of you, you're going to work in what you consider less significant. I don't think in kingdom terms they are less significant at all. But in other places, other roles, other relationships. But it's for the spiritual health of the whole nation. And yeah, I'm sure that will involve church planting and all sorts of other church interactions. But I just it's like a mindset shift sometimes that it's not just for us. And you're gathered into this remarkable city but it's, it's not just to enjoy the city. It's like, it's for significance for the whole nation. And I just feel like sometimes some of us just need to kind of get a, oh, I'm not, it's not just a good local church I go to. It's like a gathering point for an army, really. And uh, so I'll leave that with you to ponder on and, and weigh and think about. So Sarah and I are going to share this last uh, session. It probably felt like last night the amount that she heckled me, we shared that one as well. But we're actually, so we're going <laughs> to, it kind of happens when we do this together. So, um, so we've shared obviously a few things that we've learned over the last four years. And uh, we kind of want to go on in that vein a little bit, but take a slightly different angle. And I want to just read you the last bit of 1 Samuel 1. I'm afraid it's not going to come on screen because we weren't that well organized, but I'll read it to you. And this is the moment where Hannah takes Samuel to Eli. And uh, this is what it says. After he was weaned, she took the, the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So she's back there. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life, and he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And I just want to, I guess, draw a couple of things out, really. I think this is the child she had longed for, prayed for, ached for, really, and I know that when she prayed, and you know, originally she said to God, I'll give him over. But now this is the moment when she literally gives him over. And I think sometimes we miss the power of the moment because we know what happens in the story as it comes. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're watching a film with someone and you're together. You've never seen this film before, but this person has seen it a few times before. Have you ever had that experience? 
And this person in particular is struggling not to tell you what comes next. And at each moment, it's like they just kind of keep whispering what's happening next. And they sort of preempt the, the kind of drama of the moment because they keep mentioning the kind of story. And we know what happens in the story. This story leads up to the raising up of a remarkable prophet, a leader, a judge in the nation with a remarkable ministry. It leads to the anointing of Saul, but also David, the greatest king. It leads to the raising up of an entire nation. It leads to like wonderful breakthrough and fruitfulness. But it's, that's where the story ends. But that's not where the star, story starts. The story starts with brokenness, lament, aching, seeking, and then surrendering. And there is this giving over. And out of the giving over comes this incredible future and history and fruitfulness. And there's a biblical principle that I, we have and I have had to learn especially where sometimes we have to die to some things for new things to happen. In fact, you know, becoming a Christian, I don't know if any of you prayed that prayer today, but becoming a Christian, part of becoming a Christian is dying. Yeah, It's coming to new life, but the new life happens because there's a dying to an old independence And that principle keeps working through in our lives often. There are moments where it's like, no, I have to die to that now for something new. And Jesus says this in John 12, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And there's this dying in our stories at times. Um, I don't know if you love films. But obviously the Oscars, you know, they have awards for all sorts of different aspects of being parts of the film. You know, and the ones that get all the profile is, you know, best leading lady and best leading man and all that kind of stuff. But they also have Oscars for the best editors because they know the best stories have the best editing. Yeah? It's what you take out (laughs) that often produces the best kind of stories. And God often wants to edit part of our stories. There's a kind of cutting out a cutting away for something new to come. And this is something that I've had to learn in my life, and it's been interesting these last four years because I've had to relearn it. But go back 20-odd years or so, I was a would-be but failing musician. You know, well, I wasn't, yeah. Anyway, I was playing music, and that was what I really wanted to do. And I knew that after a few years of trying to do that, I knew God spoke to me about that season coming to an end, and it was a very uncomfortable season for me. I really wrestled with it because I, I, wanted, I wanted to carry. It was just close to my heart. It was a dream inside of me. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And I felt God speak to me out of the story of Abraham and Isaac. And obviously, that's another promised, remarkable, miraculous child. You know, Isaac eventually comes and shows up to this couple who should never have been able to have children. And then you read this crazy story, which I know is a picture and looking forward to Jesus, but this picture of Abraham where God says, now you need to sacrifice Isaac. You think, that's just bonkers. Like this child who'd been promised, you'd been longing for, now God says, now you need to kill him. Now it's time for it. To... And I felt God speak to me out that story where he said to me, if you'll lay the music thing down, I'll give it back to you. But you've got to let, you've got to let it go. You've got, to, you've got to die to that. And then... And then I'll give it back. And so I really wrestled, but I knew God spoke to me. So 
I kind of, in the end, I talked to the guys I was playing music with, and I said, this is coming to an end for me. I just, I didn't know what it was going to be. But I laid it all down. I said to God, okay, I'll let it go. And then fast forward a few months, I ended up doing a year team working for the church in London. Part of what I did was I started to lead the worship team. And then we just went on this journey for the next 25 years where God just started to give it back to me. And so that was an experience I had. And then fast forward 20 odd years, and I felt like God was saying, okay, now I need you to lay all of this down. And I was like, oh, I've been here before. Like 20 years ago, it was like a dress rehearsal for this moment, I think. I've been through the process of letting something die because I knew it, was a, it, was, it wasn't bad things. It wasn't sin. It was just season had ended. Trusting God would give me something else. As fulfilling, if not more fulfilling, right? But I had to take the step. And I thought, I've been here before. But it was just this time, God was like, this time I want everything. And the picture in my mind, which is not probably a very godly picture, but you know the James Bond films where he inevitably ends up playing poker somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) And he's a crazy good poker player. And he's got all his counters. And there's the bit where he shoves everything onto the table. You know that bit? And you're going, no, 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 no. Keep a few counters back because it may not go on red eight or whatever it is that you're putting. And it's like, and I felt God say, put everything on. I was like, I don't want to put everything on. I really don't want to give you every, like, I don't want to. It's like, no, no, this time, we did this before, Phil. This time, I want everything. And that's what it felt like, leaving and not knowing where we were going to go. And it's costly. But here's the thing, right? This is also a biblical principle you often find working out. It's often once you've, it's only once you've said yes to him that sometimes he then opens up what's coming next. I don't know if you've ever read anything by John Ortberg, but I remember hearing him preach, and he talked about what he called the law of the first step. And he talked about the story of Joshua taking the people into the promised land and crossing the Jordan. And if you read that passage, it says the Jordan was in full flood. In other words, it is impassable. Often you could pass it at different times in the year, but at that moment, it's it's, it's kind of vertical. It's not like you kind of wade in and it's kind of like ankle deep and then knee deep. It's like if you step into this thing, you are submerged. And yet God doesn't part the waters until he steps. And so he steps and then the waters part. And, he's, and he taught out of it, and I think it's often true, this sense of part of what God is doing is he's going, are you going to trust me enough? And you take the first step. He speaks, we step and then we see God move. Now, I know it sounds nice preaching it in here. It's not that comfortable to live it. It doesn't always work out in a really triumphalistic kind of way. I'm not talking about kind of Christian utopia. I'm just saying that is often what happens because God is often more interested in doing something in us than through us. What's he going to teach us? So this sense of the law of the first steps of Hannah surrenders Samuel and then new dreams and new stories start to get told. And that is often what happens. And Sarah's going to come now and she's just going to say a little bit about as we've stepped what we've begun to see and how God has been true to his word. So. Thanks. Yeah. I think as Phil said, stepping, surrendering, trusting is hard. Um, But as I've laid things down, lamented, trusted, 
tried to be obedient to the whisper of the Spirit, he has been so good. He really has been so good. And as I've kind of learned more about what it means to surrender, to, to put him first, like Joe suggested, to be shaped by the potter, allowed him to shape my identity, my ideas, I discovered that he does a really good job of making something very beautiful out of our lives. He's much better at shaping my life than I am. And I'd, it's funny, I love the, the theme of freedom that came through this morning. You know, that's why he came, right? He came to set us free. I love it. The roaring lion says, the grave has no hold on me. Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ came. It's a freedom that Christ came to set us free. And, you know, as we surrender to him, he takes our hurts, our wounds, our doubts, our gifts, our skills, our talents, and he fashions it into something really beautiful. And I suppose as I've put him first, as I've learned increasingly to trust him, um, I've discovered the reality is I can never outgive the giver. You know, when I'm hungry, he's satisfied. When I'm burdened, he gives me rest. When I present my request, he gives me peace that goes beyond what I even understand. When I cling, when I feel like I'm barely hanging on, Underneath are his everlasting arms. When I turn, he comes running. And if you look back, maybe if you're a Christian here, if you look back to when you first came to Jesus, we bring our shame and regret. He brings acceptance, love, eternal life. It's a wonderful exchange. Because we come to a generous, kind, amazing God, and we can never outgive the giver. And as I was reading 1 Samuel in preparation, there's this, just after Hannah's um, given Samuel to Eli, there's this, this song that Hannah sings. And I, as I read through it, I was like, oh, your, part of your song is my song. There's things she discovered about God in her surrender and her faith that became this song. And so we're just going to look at part of that song with you today and bring out some of the things that Hannah sang that have become my song um, we haven't got time to read it all, so I'm just going to share some of the points. Some of them, again, I'll just use the message because I just loved some of the words um, that was put on it. So right at the beginning, um, at verse 1. So I think this is at the beginning of chapter 2, maybe. Have a look, find it. Um, begin, yeah, it must be because it's verse 1. and It's not in chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Um, it says this. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted a high my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. And if you read it in the message, it says this, I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And I suppose the first thing I just want to say is that he's a God who gives joy. And it's so interesting, isn't it? There's this, after all the pain that Hannah had walked through and then the surrender of giving away her son, you see her singing this song of joy. And this is one of the things over the past, like, I don't know, five, six, seven years, I've really questioned. Like, you read a lot about joy in the Bible, don't you? That as Christians, we're supposed to have joy. And I've wondered and questioned why I don't feel like I have very much of it at times. And there are some Christians I know, and they just seem to be joyful. I think of Annie, you guys know Annie. She's just full of joy. And I realize it's because she really loves Jesus. She really, she really hangs, hangs out with him and knows him. And the interesting thing for me was 
I went through probably a year that I would probably describe as the most challenging in my life. And at the end of it, I felt more joy than I've ever felt before. And I think there is a link between surrender and joy. And I think it's because when we surrender, we're basically saying, God, it's all about you. You're where my hope's found. We're putting him first. And it says, those who thirst for him, what does it say? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be, will be satisfied. So when we put our hope in him, he promises to satisfy us. And I think when we're satisfied in him, rather than trying to satisfy ourselves, that's where we find real joy in learning to come to the source of all joy. So if God's calling you to trust him today, as you put him first, as you thirst for him, as you move on to that state, if you give away that money, as you deal with the sin in your life, you know he's put his finger on. If you come to him with your pain and your hurt and, let him, and find healing in him, as you surrender, I believe you will find such amazing joy and satisfaction in him. It's a wonderful Wonderful transaction where you can't outgive the giver. Let's look at together at verse 3. It says this For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Or in the message, for God knows what's going on, he takes the measure of everything that happens. I don't know if you've ever had seasons of not knowing. Um, two years was a long time to live in the gap. Um, especially when you've got a deadline. Our son needed to be in a school by September. And it was six months out. We didn't know. Five months, four months, three months. We don't know. God, God hasn't revealed to us where we're going. It's hard. It's hard waiting in the gap. And it's, it's hard when we can't see how the picture fits together. Right? I felt like he'd given us a few pieces of a thousand-piece jigsaw. I just couldn't see the picture. I didn't know what the picture was. And yet he's got the box with the picture. He's got all the pieces. And at times, I, kind of, I, I, in my head, I love Sherlock Holmes. I love that BBC adaptation with Benedict Cumberbatch. I love it when there's Watson and he's like, has no clue. And then Sherlock goes to his mind palace. And on the BBC, what happens is they go to this screen and he's like, and bringing all these pieces together. And it was like, oh, God, God's got that picture. He can see... All the pieces, we might only see two or three, but he's got all the pieces. He knows what's going on. He might not show you all of it, but he knows. And I think there's so much comfort we can take from that. There was one morning, and I'd, it was probably in a lockdown, I was probably in my car, um, and I was like, God, I am so done with not knowing. I am so tired there was a church that, um, where they were like, oh, we possibly might want you to come and lead it. Again, it was in the Netherlands. And we'd gone through the whole process of, okay, yeah, we'd sell our house to put our kids in private school. And we'd move across the country. We'd, we'd kind of done all the surrendering. And we were like, okay, we'll do it. And then they were like, oh, actually, the guys decided not to move on. They don't, we don't need you to go and do that. And so we'd done all of this work. And then it was like, no. And I was like, God, I'm just tired. I'm really tired. That was the day that Sarah Bailey sent her prophetic word through going, who's going to give you a 360 degree view is going to make the way clear. He's the God who knows when we're at the end of ourself and we need to hear from him. There was a day when I was lamenting years that I felt like had been wasted. 
That was the day a friend wrote a card to me saying, he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He knows. There was a day sitting in the lounge when Phil's going, oh, one more, God. Because if I'm going to move my family, if I'm going to take this financial risk, if I'm going to move away from my kids and my parents, I need to know. And he's gracious enough to send someone we've never seen before to our door to buy some Playmobil and go, you're going overseas. He's the God who knows what you need. When we moved to the Netherlands, um, if you don't have a visa, you can't rent a house. So we, it was, we only had two months to find somewhere and there happened to be a family in the church in The Hague who were going overseas and said, um, you can live in our house. We're not actually allowed to rent it out officially, so you can live here. Had it for a year. We got to Christmas and they decided, they totally changed track and said, we want to sell our house. So we want you out of the house. We didn't have a visa. We couldn't rent a house. So we've just moved with all our kids to the Netherlands and we're going to find ourselves homeless. So we started the hunt for a house. We found very, I mean, two houses in, in Rotterdam and then one of them we decided just wasn't going to work. The other one, we said, yeah, we'd like to rent this one. And the owners utterly, totally refused to rent it to us. You don't earn enough money. You have to have 75 million times your income to rent it. You're not having it. So we're like... And they want, I mean, I think they knew more detail about our finances than we did. We gave them so much information. We were like, we will pay you six months rent up front. No, we're not renting it to you. And we're like, there was nothing else. Phil was chatting to the estate agent who'd, um, who was kind of dealing with this house. And said, oh, there might be one other house coming up um, that might work for you. What is it you want? And we're like, oh, ideally we want four bedrooms, so... Our boys have their own room each, so that if we have visitors to stay, we'd have to chuck them at their rooms. We'd like a, a, an office space. Um, that was about it, really, wasn't it? But that's what we wanted. So, oh, yeah, I might have something. And he took us to the, the address. Now, a year before, you remember we said we visited in COVID and we had a couple of days in Rotterdam. That year, a friend of ours, Rima, he'd driven us around Rotterdam. And he'd driven us around some areas and he drove us down this one road. He said, this is my favourite road in the whole of Rotterdam. Oh, we meant to have a picture of it, actually. It's, it's got a canal in the middle of it, and it's got these huge trees. It's, it's right by a lake. It's really beautiful. And we, the next day, we went back and visited this road, and we're like, we'd like to live here. This is really nice. I mean, we'd lived in Catford. If you've ever been to Catford, it's not... It was beautiful, because that's where our friends were, but it is potentially one of the ugliest places. When I first went there, I thought I'd ever seen. However, um, yeah, so... We, when we went, the estate agent gave us his address. And when we drove there, guess where it was, guys? It was the exact road that we'd driven down that year before that we were like, we'd like to live here. So we now live on this beautiful road where we open our door and there's a canal and we walk for three minutes and there's a beautiful lake. God knows. And that's coming. <laughs> None of your heckling. Thank you very much. And as I was just, um, I was just running through this this morning, I, I just felt like um, if you've got a long-term illness and you're here today, I just felt like God wants you to know that he knows and he cares. He knows. He knows what it's like for you to feel restricted, to live with pain. And it's interesting, that lady I said in Catford, who is the p person I know, if I think of joy, I think of her, 
She lives with chronic pain. And yet she's one of the most joyful people I know. So I feel like, yeah, just feel like he wants you to feel seen. And I also felt for mums in the room who've got little ones. It's a massive change, isn't it, when you have a little one? You maybe you've been at work, then you're off work, then you're back to work, or you're on your maternity leave, and your life takes these turns, and your rhythms of life are disrupted, and your sleep is deprived, and it demands your time. And I just felt like he wants to say to you, he knows. There's this wonderful verse in Isaiah 40 that says, He leads his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And where you might be beating yourself up, oh, I'm not having my regular quiet times. I don't remember the last time I read my Bible. I, I lose my patience. I feel like he gently leads those who have young. His heart is gentle towards you. And I feel like he wants you to know that today. Okay, let's look again at Hannah's song. Oh, this is my favorite bit of the song. In verse 8, I think this is from the message version. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles burnt-out lives with fresh hope. He restores dignity and respect to their lives, a place in the sun. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. Um, when we went to Rotterdam, I arrived at the beginning of September. Like Phil said the other day, he took our daughter to university. He arrived on the 29th of September the next day was a, like a church weekend for the leaders of the churches in the Netherlands. And the 30th of September is my birthday. So I've just moved away from my lovely friends. And I'm celebrating my birthday knowing really no one. And Chris Taylor, who leads one of the churches, his wife had organized for all the women um, of these pastors to buy me a birthday gift. It was so moving. One of them wrote that verse that you quoted earlier. It was beautiful. It says, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And um, part of my lament over those previous years of feeling, was feeling like I wasn't in a spacious place. So this word was so significant for me. It was like just a wonderful confirmation of God's kindness, that he had good plans for me and he had a fresh hope. And lots of the prophetic words we'd been given was about, was about it. it was a time of us partnering together and he had new things for us together. So even actually the invite to this weekend is like a fulfillment of fresh hope and promise God had. So it's so beautiful. And then six months later, when we move into that house on that beautiful road, that road is called Breedveldsingel, which means broad field on the water. Like God is a God of beautiful detail, isn't he? It's so precious. If you've come to this weekend and you feel like you've lost hope, you know, God is a God of hope. In Jeremiah 29, it says this. I haven't, this is what God says. I have no clue what's going on. My plans are to harm you. My plans have no hope and no future. That doesn't say that, does it? I want you to read it like that because I think, <laughs> just checking you're awake. I wanted to read it like that because I think we get so familiar with these utterly amazing truths that we read it and go, oh, I've got a plan, I hope in the future. It's like, no, no, listen to what it says. 
I know the plans I have for you and you and you. He knows for each and every one of you here the plans he has for you. And those plans are to bring you a hope and a future for you. Isn't that absolutely stunning? And I feel like that is what done for me. I felt sidelined, like I didn't know what his plans were. And then he brings me into this spacious place. He rekindles burnt out lives with fresh hope. And I think, I believe God wants to do that today with some of you. Fresh hope. And then just the last thing in her song, which is again utterly beautiful. It's in verse 8 and 9. says this. For the very structures of earth are God's. He has laid out his operations on a firm foundation. And he protectively cares for his faithful friends step by step. Or in the NIV, it says, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. I love that line. He protectively cares for his faithful friends step by step. And the one who protectively cares has every resource available to him. Imagine if you're sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor's really empathetic and cares, you know, but has no access to the medicine that will help you. Well, that's not like our God. Our God is the one who cares and has every resource at his disposal for your good. Our God is a wonderful, faithful friend who cares. And if you don't know him as your friend, you can come to him, you can repent, you can turn away of the way of saying, I know how to live my life, and say, God, I know you know how I need to live my life. And he forgives and he accepts, and he says we can be his friend. And knowing him as a friend who is faithful and kind is the best decision you will ever make. I think since we've moved, we have known his protective care in so many different areas, and some of them may seem so insignificant. So we have a dog, um, and when we used to go on holiday, our parents, my parents, would look after our dog. We don't have anyone to look after our dog anymore. So it's like, how do we go on holiday with our dog? And it was really starting to wind me up. I don't love our dog as much as my husband loves our dog. So I think um, I would moan to our husband about our dog. So I think you were out for a walk. Why don't you come and tell what happened? Tell him about the dog and tell him about what happened with our finances, and I'll hand over to you. Okay. Can, can, can you take that? So we have this wonderful dog <laughs> that I love very much. No, okay. So, um, yeah. So as Sarah said, God does little things and big things, right? And uh, so, yeah. So it's starting to be a bit of a tricky thing. Like, what do we do with our dog? Like, you know, when you move country, all these things that you kind of knew what to do before, you have no idea. And um, true to form, the very last thing I did was pray about it. But I, eventually I did, and I was like, God, I really need a solution. Like, Sarah's not happy about the dog. I really need you to help me solve it. <laughs> and I felt, I felt, literally, I felt this little whisper. Why don't you speak to the dog walkers? Because like, you, you know, if you have a dog, you meet dog walkers. So I'm like, okay, I will. So I go for a walk one day, and I'm basically going, well, where do we, you know, who is it who looks after dogs around here? So I'm walking down the canal, and there's this guy walking towards me who lives just behind us. I've never spoken to him in my life, and I, but I thought, ask him. So I said, 
I, I, I stopped him. I said, do you speak English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all speak English. And I said, I, I, <laughs> I, said, I hope you don't mind asking, but do you like, have anywhere, like, what do you do with your dog when you go on holiday? Where do you? And he goes, it's really interesting you ask me that. Because I've just met this lady who lives about a kilometre away and she looks after dogs. I, do you want her number? In fact, I'll call her for you. Give me your number and I'll let her know you're going to call. And he was like, so he just rang this lady and then I rang her and she's like, bring him, bring the dog over. And then, and I know it sounds such an inconsequential thing, but it's like, so we now have this amazing lady who lives about like half a mile from us who looks after our dog, who's amazing. And it's just, but it all came from this, like, eventually I prayed and God goes, ask the dog walkers. And I asked the dog walker and the guy goes, yeah. We've just met this lady called Dolly. Praise God for Dolly. Can we all pray for Dolly right now? Because she's like, but it was like, God, we just need a little, on this one, it's really difficult. And I think God does care about us. And I think um, the money thing. So I think I said last night, I think the truth is, I feel like God's exposed a bit of an idol in my life about money. And what I mean by that is it's not exactly like I've pursued a career where you earn loads of money. That's not what being a pastor does, really. But I looked to it in terms of trusting it. If we have enough, if I can calculate it all, if I can put it all on a spreadsheet, and there's good things about all those planning abilities, but it was like I was investing a degree of security in it that was, I feel God is like, no, that's got to go, Phil. Put it on the the altar. And... um, so we moved, obviously, and we, you know, there were some financial questions for us. How's this all going to work out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in the Netherlands, there's something called the 30% tax ruling. And basically, it means if you're a foreigner and you can work there, you get some kind of tax break. So we had applied for this through uh, a friend of ours. And there had been quite a lot of complications. And it had gone on and on, and there was no answer coming back. And this was like a game changer financially for us. And one day I went for a walk, and I'm like, God, I am so cheesed off. Because basically, they'd messed up our application. There'd been a complication with the postal service. And I'm like, this is not happening. And somebody who was helping us had phoned the kind of authorities, and they'd gone, we're not processing this. And so I go for a walk, and I'm like, God, I'm really hacked off about this whole thing. Because it would really make a big difference to us financially if you could just give us the money. That was it. I was... (laughs) Show me the money is what I shouted at God on this walk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we go for breakfast the next morning with, an, with a couple in the church. And while we're having breakfast, I don't know why it was while we're having, I zone out slightly for a moment. And I felt, and I'm thinking about the money thing again. And I literally feel God say to me, why don't you let me worry about the money? It was, it was really disarming. I literally felt, I said this to you afterwards, didn't I? I was like, I felt God say why don't you let me worry about it? I'm like, well, because I'm really good at worrying about it. Like, <laughs> it's like I've got the spiritual gift of worrying about it. Like, you, I, and, I, and I got us like, let me worry about it. All right, okay. And I felt something. I literally felt something shift inside of me. And you know, I don't overplay these kind of things. I know we're telling stories, but literally, I'm not the guy who's like, I prayed for a parking space at Sainsbury's, and it all opened up just as, I'm not that guy. I'm, you know, I'm more the other way, not always good. And, but I said, just let me worry about it. Anyway, fast forward two weeks' time, two weeks. This friend of ours rings the tax people again, having the tax people saying, we're not processing it. And she wants to talk to him again. And she gets some bloke on the phone. He goes, uh, let me look it up, look it up. Oh, yeah. It's, they've just said yes to it. Yes, it's all through. It's all come through. Like, you've been granted it, like, out of nowhere. 
And for five years, and we backdated it to when you moved. And it was like, at the same time, a friend of ours just rang me and said, oh, we want to give you some money. And he gave us a, a bunch of money out of the blue. And we'd just bought a car. And, you know, buying cars are expensive, right? Especially now. And it's like, and I know this is one of those stories, but it is a true story. Everything we spent on the car, within about four, five, six weeks, we had back. And it was like, I felt God say, see, I'm quite, <laughs> why don't you let me worry about it? And I say that to you because the financial thing may not be the thing that stops you from stepping, right? It might be something else, but there's, we're living in some kind of fear. And I was saying to Dan earlier, you know the story of David and Goliath, and David shows up, and we know the story about how he kind of wins, and, but what we miss sometimes is for 40 days, Goliath's been coming out, and he's been taunting them, and the entire Israelite army are stuck, and they're just standing there. They're not moving. They're not leaving, but they're not moving. They're not, they're not, they will not step into the battle because they're just, fear is just, I'm just stuck. And living in fear is not, a, it's not a good place to live, right? Because it stops us from stepping into what God has for us. And part of the move for us, it sounds, this might sound slightly morbid, but it's not meant to. You know, I was, I was thinking about this move, and I'm like, God, this is a big risk, and there's all this uncertainty, and can we really do this, and can we do this to our kids, and how are our boys going to be, and, and all that stuff. And I, I, honestly, I thought, do you know what, one day I'm going to die, and I'm going to have to really trust Jesus on that day. Like, on that day, I am totally dependent on the blood of Jesus, right? So that is coming. Whether I like it or not, there will be a day <laughs> where it, I am totally at his mercy. And I just felt like, well, why don't I trust him like that now? Why don't we put everything on? Because I think he wants to redeem everything. And I think he just has... So much more. As I land, one last thing. We're teaching through Galatians back in Rotterdam, and it's been really great. And if you know the book of Galatians, it's just a brilliant, a brilliant book. But there's this one moment in Galatians 4 where Paul is telling the Galatians off again about going back to the law. What are you doing? You're mad. And he's this little phrase, and he says, you know, why are you doing this? Because you know God. And then he corrects himself. But rather, he knows you. You know him but actually, he knows you. And often in the Bible, when it talks about being known, it's not just he knows your name or he knows about you or whatever. It, it communicates a deep sense of intimacy and a deep sense of commitment, like a covenantal commitment to you. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, yeah, you do know him. That's true. You know him to a degree. You know Jesus to a degree. But what really matters is he knows you. You know, we tend to think of the equation of it's about me and it's about me seeking and it's about... But actually, well, the fundamental part is he, he knows you. And this sense of actually, do you know what? We tend to think somehow if I'm really committed to him, he'll be really committed to me. But actually, what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, no, you need to understand, he is deeply, intimately committed to you. And it is not dependent on how on fire you are or how faith-filled you feel. Because we know how this works. This weekend, you'll feel like, this was a great, great time. And then tomorrow morning, normality strikes again, right? And it's like, oh, I've lost some of the kind of, I was really on fire yesterday. And it's like, no, he knows you. He is deeply, deeply, covenantally committed to you. And your future is far more dependent on that than it is on you.
So how do we know that if we step, it's going to be okay? Because he knows you. It's about him. Praise God, it's about him and not about me. So I think I'm going to land there and hand down. Bless you guys.